What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Diamond Talk. And today, we go to the shortstop position. Probably one of the funnest ones to talk about. This list actually has good names. This, uh, you know, a lot better than our second base list. But, yo, guys, I'll kick it over to you guys. Rob, Nick, how you guys doing? What's going on, guys? I'm doing good. Uh, definitely agree with you there. Definitely more uh, known names in the top 10 amongst general people, right? Like, in, in terms of the talent pool. Shortstop's always a good one. I think I think it's it's one it's usually one of the most stacked positions in the league like year in and year out. So every year we get to the shortstop ranking, it's it's always a solid episode. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. This is the one where you're trying to fight to get somebody into the top ten versus why are they in there? So this is nice. You get you know you have talent up and down the list. You have uh, five tool players, not just one tool players on this list. So yeah, there's some talent here. Um, there there are some you know MVP candidates all over this list actually when you when you go into it. And the fun thing about this list is this one really comes down to consistency over the last few years. This is one of the hardest positions to pick who is your best next year player because you have four or five guys that have done very, very well over a few years and you have track record all over the place. So this is a fun position to talk about. There's, there's a little bit of controversy on this one just because it's a couple of names that we were all kind of debating on. Your boy did it again. Your boy, your boy, uh, put a youngin up there in a place that he, you know, might be overreaching compared to where he is currently. But look, even then I was, I was honestly contemplating reaching out to to you guys and like, yo, where do you guys put like Gunnar Henderson, right? Gunnar Henderson's the, you know, he's the top. Where do do the Orioles put Gunnar Henderson? Because I I think, I think he'll end up at shortstop this year, but if, if he ends up at shortstop, and, and by the way, it's a good thing to leave him off this list for us because we, you know, we, we don't have that information. And there's enough great guys at shortstop that we don't really need to push the envelope like that. Um, but, yo, look, I'll start the conversation there, man. Look, Gunnar Henderson, I, I would not be surprised to see him on this list next year. Um, and I say that because I had another uh, young player who was a rookie last year on this list. Actually, there's, there's a couple of rookies on this list beyond, or, or guys that were rookies last year on this list. So, you know, let's just get to it because it's the, the list starts off with that. We kind of had a little bit of discrepancy at 10. So we have 10A and 10B kind of. Um, the two guys we, we, we came in at number 10 were Bobby Witt Jr. of Kansas City and Wander Franco um, of Tampa Bay. I'm not mad at that because both of them have extreme question marks. I don't, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I think they uh, – Witt was nine, I think. So it, 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 it ended up – we ended up taking them all so – Pena at ten, and then Wit. Oh, just gets a clear nine at uh, the spot at nine. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I I did not see that. Cool. So so Pena comes in at ten, then right? Yeah. Okay. So Pena comes in at ten. We got Bobby Witt Jr. at nine. Tommy Edmond came in, in the eighth spot. Bo Bichette at seven, and newly acquired Chicago Cub Dansby Swanson comes in to round out at six. I'll I'll get this one started just because I do want to talk about the young guys. And I had Bobby Witt Jr. higher than, than anybody on this list. And I think it's because Julio Rodriguez last year was so good, so good as a rookie, that other than Adley Rushman, we really didn't talk about anybody else, right? So we really didn't talk about Bobby Witt Jr. We really didn't talk about Jeremy Pena until it got to a playoff, right? Jeremy Pena was a playoff story. He was not a regular season story. But... Bobby Witt Jr. in in particular, he's one of those guys that we didn't we don't talk about. You know, we talk about Julio Rodriguez as a potential 30-30 guy. Bobby Witt Jr. is another potential 30-30 guy. He had the 30 stolen bases. I think the power is gonna come. He, he had 20 home runs, right? So it's not like he didn't have pop, right? I I think he very easily hits 10 more home runs, right? And he actually he should have no problem stealing 30 bases again. Bobby Wood Jr. is, for all intents and purposes, he is one of those five-tool players Nick was talking about. And he struggled at parts last year, right? He didn't start off hot. Then he had a really good kind of middle of the season. Then he got cold again, right? So his, his, his season was inconsistent, right? He's 22 years old. I think he'll figure it out. The guy that we kicked off was Wander Franco. And Wander Franco, guess what, man? He's just injured. He, he, he just injured last year. And he, he hasn't been the guy who showed that he has great pop, right? He, he, he's had less than 10 home runs both both seasons. Uh, he That hamstring injury is a big concern for me going forward. I I, I think that really does is going to hurt him as he kind of moves on, right? Uh, Jeremy Pena, look, 
I think Jeremy Pena, we saw, I, I think we saw Jeremy Pena's ceiling last year. I, I know that kind of sucks to say because it was his first year, but I think that's as good as Jeremy Pena gets. So I, I don't necessarily know if, if, if how much room he has to be better. Um, and, and I just want to start, start it off talking about those three guys because I, you know, it, it's so hard with rookies projecting at this position, especially when we're going to have more guys coming in. And then, you know, Bob Bichette, he figured it out. He, he started hitting. Dansby Swanson, I think if we rate anybody too highly on this thing, it's probably going to be Dansby Swanson based on last year. Um, you know, historically, he's a little bit offensively worse than he was. But, but you know, I'll, I'll let you guys get started. You know, or I should say I started. I, I'll, I'll let Nick uh, take it from here, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom five are are close. And to your point, with, with Wander Franco, he was right there on the cusp. You know, um, I don't have him there just because, to your point, that injury was a big one. And I don't trust Tampa Bay as an offensive team to like put out any sort of offensive numbers from a single player that they've developed. They are very, very good at situational running the numbers, putting guys in the best spot possible. But when you think about it, you don't have an everyday guy coming out of Tampa Bay that you're looking at as a, you know, an elite level hitter. Wander Franco would be the first one that they've ever had. And I'm not going to bet. I'm not going to bet on that as an organization. Um, to put him up in the top 10, especially after an injury year at such a young age. Uh, I hope he proves me wrong and he ends up being in the top three next time, you know, next year. Maybe he hits 330 with, you know, 30 bombs and gets 15 stolen bases and plays a good defense. But that's, to me, that's the type of year that he's going to have to have to break into that top five because the other guys that are in the top five have had that kind of year. Maybe not the 330 batting average, but they've done the, oh my God, did you see this guy on the field this year? So I think he's right there on the board of the top 10. For me, with Witt, his strikeout rate's too high and his walk rate's too low for me to put him higher um, than 9 or 10. Does he have the talent? Yeah, absolutely. Does he have the pedigree? Yeah, absolutely. This guy could be up there much, much higher. And you might have him in the right spot at the end of the year. I'm just going, as I talked about in the intro, this is a track record position. There's so many good guys it's tough for me to put Bobby Witt's potential over these other guys who have done it for a few years. Even a Dansby Swanson, he came in as the top prospect. He's a great defensive guy who's not going to lose his playing time from the defensive side. He's not a liability whatsoever. And he's put together two good years. Do I think it's a product of his environment being Atlanta, where he can be the number seven hitter and just quietly do his thing? Yeah, absolutely. But he's going to the Cubs where he's still not going to have a lot of attention on him. So the fanfare and the, the stress of, yeah, he signed a big contract, but nobody's looking at Dansby Swanson going to the Cubs and thinking they're going to be a playoff contender because he's there. And when you have that type of backing to you, that even though you've had two really good years, you're going to have to do it again on a team that's not stacked. If he does it, then he shoots his name up, but I think he's right where he deserves to be. And you know what? Number six on this list, that's a good ranking. It's you're, The guys you're not beating out are the guys that you're probably picking for at least all-star appearances, if not MVP votes in reality, everybody who's above him. The one guy that I really want to talk about is Bichette. And the reason being, I struggled. I really struggled watching him last year, as everybody did, especially if you're a Blue Jays fan, because the the level of performance that he had the first few months, you were really like, I didn't, I didn't think his floor was this low. It, it was a guy you're like, what happened? What's going on with Bichette? Because this is not the player that we're expecting. And then in the last 32 games of the year, so in um, in September and October, he decides to hit 406 with a 444 on base, a 662 slugging, and a 1.1 OPS. So I have him in my top 10. I believe I had him at six overall because to me, he can carry a team. And he can be literally your entire offense. And the other guys that are ahead of him on the list for me, he even more so than any of them can carry a team. But you have other guys that have a longer sustained performance. I don't I don't think Lindor can hit 400 in any month stretch. I don't. I don't think he's that type of hitter. But Bichette has shown that he can. And when you have that kind of talent, I hope he can put it together for an entire year and really put himself out there as one of these better shortstops. But it's just a tough list to keep cracking. Another one that's on there that I'm sure uh, Rob will talk about, Edmund came out of kind of nowhere to be a stud, really. Like, it, it's it's the cardinal way. You just kind of put a guy in there that kind of plugs and chugs and ends up 
with the team that's around him doing really, really well. But Tommy Edmond might have solidified himself as one of the top shortstops in the game, assuming he plays there all season. He is still a utility guy. And with the changes that are going to happen, is he going to stick at shortstop? He should. He's their best overall option for shortstop, but he's also their best overall option at second base. Um, so, like, he's a tough player to get because I just don't see him strictly as a shortstop, which maybe puts him a little lower on this list. And as we get into the top 10, we'll talk about some of the reasons why they're there. But I like the way the bottom of the list played out. I, I'm not real strong on any of them being higher or lower. I think it just played out just fine with a shortstop. And to be, you know, 6 through 10 on the shortstop position right now in MLB, that's a good ranking because you, outside of Altuve, you're the you're the number two. Any one of these guys I put at number two on the second base list. I really do. I put any one of these guys over Ozzy Albies, no problem. And I don't really have a second thought about it. I'm interested to see Pena. He's lower for me simply because of the fact that he's a 26-year-old rookie. And I didn't hear enough about how old he actually is. He's only two years younger than Carlos Correa. And if that's your breakout season at the age of 25, 26, you're kind of near your peak. So does he have more there? He doesn't necessarily need to have more if he can just do what he did last year and keep plugging away in that lineup because he's going to have plenty of opportunities for the RBIs and the runs. He just needs to capitalize on it when he gets the, when he gets the chances. And I think he will. He's a solid player. He's a good replacement for Carlos Correa on a World Series team. He is the World Series winning shortstop. So he deserves to be in the top 10. All right, here comes here comes the clown music. Yo, look, I'm gonna say some shit right now. <laughs> for for the for the Jays, you move Bobuchet to second base. That's your World Series year right there. I don't know who the fuck you find at shortstop. Go go get Anderson Simmons off fucking free agency if you need to. Go find someone to compliment Matt Chapman on the left side of the field with an, with an actual guy at short. Have Bobuchet be. The second best second baseman in the league after Altuve. Not only does your lineup certainly get a little bit more um, creative, let's say, but you also just get so much better defensively. The reason why I had Bobuchet as low as I did was he is fucking god awful at, at shortstop at the shortstop position. We don't use the word lazy because of the complexion of his skin, but he makes a lot of lazy plays at shortstop, right? If, if it was Glaber Torres making these plays. And Glaber has gotten this these these remarks when he was at shortstop. Oh, that he was a lazy shortstop. Bobuchet would have the same thing because he is a lazy shortstop. Some of the throws that he makes and and the way he positions his body, it's literally like I don't want to make the effort to get my my footing right, get in the right positioning. So I'm gonna throw it away, right? Vladdy, the, I think Vladdy got his gold glove because he saved Bichette from so much bullshit. To be honest with you, quite quite frankly, Bobuchet needs to go play second base. He has the arm for it. He has he's, an, he's he's athletically gifted enough to play second base and make that shift. But till that happens, you're gonna have a liability defensively at shortstop. Because I, I don't know if he just says, "Hey, fuck it, like I'm gonna take this position seriously now," or "Hey, I don't have to make these off balance throws when I have a fucking 500 pounder running down the first base." Like, there's there's a fix to be made there. So, yo, Toronto, move that motherfucker to second base. That that's only gonna make your team better, because offensively, he's a lot like Javi Baez. Like, Javi Baez is a free swinger. Javi Baez is is at his best when he's not worrying about fucking make taking walks. Bobuchet showed us last year that that's not his game either, right? Bobuchet's game is yo, you're gonna throw something around it. I'm gonna I'm gonna swing hard as fuck at it, and I'm gonna make some decent contact, and it's gonna go a pretty decent way. You know, he's that kind of player. So I. I don't think Bobuchet would ever crack into our top five at the shortstop position. I think he has the potential to be the number two second baseman in in, in baseball. Um, you know that, that's just that's just my take on on, on Bobuchet there. You know, Dansby Swanson. I, I love that you mentioned the lineup he was in in Atlanta because he was the fucking seventh or eighth guy there, right? Those those points last year, Von Grissom looked like he he would be he would be the the long standing shortstop there. And guess what? That's kind of the, the way that Atlanta went. They said. They said we're, we're gonna do the Von Grisham thing, even though everyone else is getting paid twelve dollars an hour to to play everywhere else on the field. So those two guys, I think, are the most movable. Tommy Edmond. The reason why I had the younger guys in front of Tommy Edmond is because I don't love Tommy Edmond offensively. I think defensively, he's a great glove. I think he's gonna he's gonna absolutely crush it. Offensively, I know he had a good year last year, but I have questions about it. I, I don't I don't know if if 
again, I don't know if he gets better offensively. But, yo, Rob, I'll kick it over to you, man. Um, what are your thoughts on center six? Yeah, you know, originally when we were doing these, like, rankings, um, you know, we were talking about the, the shortstop list and looking at the names that are in the top 10 and everything like that. But then as I'm looking at this list, it's like, it's like you guys are talking about these players, and then I'm looking at this list, and I'm like, why does the list start to sound like the second base list? Because I'm looking at these players now, and I'm just like, there are very there are a lot of arguments that I can make for like these guys not being on this list next year, and like it, it, it's weird, man. Because look, yeah, you do look at a guy like Bo Bichette. Personally, I had him ranked number eight. I completely agree with you. Bo Bichette is never going to be a top five shortstop um, unless he steps his defense up. There's there's just no way his offense his offense is too valuable for him not to be a in a top ten shortstop ranking. That's just also a fact. Like you're not you're not finding ten shortstops who can hit better than Bo Bichette in the league like currently today. It's just not true. Um, but yeah, his his defense does not stack anywhere near with a lot of the other shortstops, and I think that's what usually keeps him like in purgatory. Because like there's no way Bo Bichette like he's usually six to eight. Like six seven eight is where Bo Bichette is probably gonna land. Um, it's just there's just no way for him to go up unless like you said he starts to take the the position a little bit more seriously. Um, based on on the names that are in front of him in terms of a guy like Tommy Edmond um, yeah it, it's tough for Tommy Edmond because again he is capped like if you look at the type of player that he is he is Tommy Edmond ever going to give St. Louis a 800 OPS season doubtful um, but he does play a lot of good positions well he brings a very high defensive uh, value to that team and Tommy Edmond, to be honest with you, is just one of those like players that like it feels wrong to keep him off of a top ten shortstop list after the season that he just had. You know, with the with the war and all the advanced analytics that he put up this year, um, probably the most valuable player to that St. Louis team behind Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado this season, which is saying a lot. You know, when you're behind two players that finished top three in MVP in the in the in the NL, um, so Tommy being there is is just. I don't want to say it's due to circumstance because I, I, I think he's a, he's a good player, but if Tommy's not in the top 10 next year, like it wouldn't surprise me because Tommy is the guy that could just go out there and like, yeah, he, he, he had great defense and won another go glove, but put up a 670 OPS, right? If you're putting up an OPS under 700, like it automatically just makes me like question whether or not like, you know, unless you were already on the rankings um, beforehand and you've shown some consistency, it automatically makes me question like how long you can pretty much stay around this point. So he'd be a guy that wouldn't necessarily surprise me for next season. Um, for the two guys that we had at the bottom, look, this is the reality. And people and people might not like to, to hear this, but the only reason that Jeremy Pena is ranked so highly on a lot of shortstop lists going into this previous season is because it's there are so many casual baseball fans who are parts of those discussions. Because the main opinion that a lot of those fans have of Jeremy Pena is watching him play in the postseason. And if you did not watch baseball throughout the regular season and the only baseball that you're watching is when the MLB playoffs roll around, oh, for sure, you'd be watching the games thinking Jeremy Pena is Fernando Tatis Jr., right? Like, if you didn't watch, if you didn't watch the sport like that, you'd be like, damn, who is this? Like, who, this guy for sure has to be one of the top shortstops in the league. Look, tremendous postseason performance by Jeremy Pena. And because of that is honestly why I put him in my top 10. Because I think, look, he might be a little older than some of the other guys. And I don't think that his regular season was necessarily anything over the top or anything special like that. But there is something to be said when a guy has to come to a team like Houston, who has World Series aspirations and has to replace a guy like Carlos Correa and the things that he has done for Houston in the postseason and kind of went out there and did them better. You know, even if it was only for one, for the one season, right? They came out of that with a title. So Jeremy Pena was very essential in Houston winning a championship for me not to put him in the top 10. But again, it's one of those names where if he's not there next year, he's not there next year. I'm not, I'm not so worried about coming on here and making a heavy argument for why Jeremy Pena is a top 10 shortstop. He's, he's borderline a top 10 shortstop right now. And that should not be anything looked at craziness. Again, if you did not watch the regular season, I'm sorry, I don't need to hear your opinion on Jeremy Pena. Like, that's just, that's just facts. Like, if you didn't watch Jeremy Pena play during the regular season and you're just going based off of postseason, like, sure, there's something to be said for guys that come, come up and, and grow themselves in the postseason. And a lot of people will argue that the postseason is the only thing that matters. But we're doing rankings here. So for the sake of rankings, like, it's going to, regular season has to come into play. 
And Jeremy Pena just wasn't that strong of a regular season performer. Um, similarly to like Bobby Witt, I think Bobby Witt is a player that obviously compared with a lot of the other guys here, potential wise is higher. Um, like Daniel mentioned, he does a lot of good things in terms of like the baseline numbers. I don't think he does a lot of things well compared to other guys in terms of like the analytics, but it also is just one season. Bobby Wood Jr. is super young. We don't know where he's going to play in Kansas City. I have him just out of my top 10 right now, but a guy that should be top 10 shortstop based on his potential and based on what he could potentially do in Kansas City in these upcoming seasons um, and improving his analytic numbers and things like that. I do think Bobby Wood Jr. will have a case for it being a top 10 shortstop potentially after this season. Um, and then for the last guy there, yeah, look, Dansby, Dansby Swanson is Dansby Swanson. <laughs> I don't know what better way to say it. He is the definition of, you guys remember when we were doing the third base rankings last season and we were looking at the top five of the third baseman and I made a comment that was like, if these guys are at a club, right? Machado, Arenado, Jose Ramirez, and Devers are at a club. Austin Riley is the doorman. Right. Like he's the guy that's not exactly in the room, but like he might bust his way in there. And we all saw Austin Riley do that this season. Right. Like where he busted himself into that room. Right. Dansby Swanson is the actual literal definition of a door of a doorman for the shortstops, because there's just no way that I could see. Like I ranked him personally five. Right. But I did that hesitantly because I'm like, oh, Seager. <laughs> But in terms of like me looking at him as a legitimate top five, like, because let's be real here, people like, and I know that it's going to come, come out when we're talking about the top five, but there's a very clear name that was left off of these lists that would essentially put, push everyone down a spot. So like, yeah. let's just be real here. Like, like Dansby Swanson should not be in the top five. He made mine just clinging on. And he is like the doorman of that group where it's just like, I don't think you're bad. Like, and I don't think that you, that you're like worse than like some of the shortstops that are underneath you, but I just also don't think you're ever going to be good enough to pass some of the guys that are in front of you because that talent is just on another level. Like, yeah, it's I'll, just, I'll say this, we, we wouldn't be talking about Dansby Swanson this year as much, as much as we did if he wasn't a free agent. I think that has a lot to do with competition too, because he was just yeah. in front of our eyes as much, but he, he, look, he had a great year, but he's, he, he has enough of a track record where we know what kind of player he is. He's he's a right. very good glove, very good glove, but offensively, you know, like, like like we said before, like the Mariners test, right? And and by the way, that that the time I mentioned the Mariners test, I didn't mention Teoscar Hernandez because now it is J Rod and Teoscar. Teoscar is the second best offensive option there. But if you like, bro, if you put Dansby Swanson in a Mariners lineup, how much better do you think that lineup is, right? Like, I don't know if I if I if I you no know, give it that much more credit. Yes, it's better than J B Crawford, absolutely. You know what I mean? But is it is it changing my overall vision of it? Probably not, right? And I'll say the same thing with, with Jeremy Pena, where I look at it, I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. Like, I think those guys, you, you mentioned the just outside the club. I think Dansby Swanson isn't even, even in the Uber yet. Or he might be in the Uber trying to head to the club. And it might be closing time because they might, hey, we're not letting anybody else in. Right. Yeah, they, they might have, they, I think they let him in for the night. Um, you know, he showed up an hour early, made a, made a good, uh, made good communication, good conversation with the doorman that was there, you know, made a friend. So I, I think the security guard let Dansby in for, for, a, for a night, but he's not into the room. Um, and then after that was up, the security guy probably came in and pulled Dansby by his shirt and like took him out the club again and said, try again. Um, cause that, that's just honestly the type of player that, that he has honestly been. And again, it's not to like try to, sh to like shit on him or anything, but it's just that like, yo, like. Honestly, look, it, the, the top five shortstops, and I'm going to say the legitimate top five shortstops, because again, we all know who's not being counted on these lists, but like the top five legitimate shortstops in the leagues. Guys, are guys, the before, before that, I got I to gotta just, I got to spoil the secret. It's IKF. IKF is not IKF. IKF. Yes. IKF is IKF. our top shortstop. We just said, you know what? We don't want to do that to people, so we're not going to talk about it. It's IKF. Um, it, it honestly should have been expected because when you have, um, you know, family like Ralph Kiner and all that stuff, like how do you not become... Um, you know, such a great player and things like that. Pretty but, much IKF, God, <laughs> then whoever else came after that. Yeah, I think Jeter came out of retirement too. Um, so I don't know if he, I'd put him back in our top 10, but uh, no, like, but when you look at the, at the actual like premier talent at the position, there is a very clear disconnect between like some of these players. And it's just like, that's why it's like tough because it's like, yes, the talent is there. But then when you start to get to the upper echelon of the conversation, you really just start to get a clearer like picture of like the gaps that exist between like not like there is a very massive gap between like let's just even say like number three 
and like number six. Like there's already like a very massive gap, even then like a then like a then like a three spots, you know, in, in terms of like the talent that they put up, the consistency and like all this stuff. So it's just like, oh man, like I don't mm, for these guys, like it, I think I think our bottom five, there are some names that are gonna be here next year again. Like like a Bachette, right? Like I, like again, I I go back to that. Bachette's hitting is just too valuable for him to like completely fall off a list if he stays at shortstop, right? Like he's still gonna be a top ten shortstop just based off his hitting. But any 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 position that Bobuchet would go to, he'd be in a top ten list because his offense is that good. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, that's true. And and for guys like I, I think, look, if if you were to to ask me who sticks on this list more next year, Bobby Witt or Jeremy Pena, obviously Bobby Witt because again, I just I, I think he has a more like clearer uh long term at the position like even though if they move if Kansas City moves him to third or whatever I think I think if you keep him at short you very easily can um Jeremy Pena will be there for Houston but I think it he has to compete every year and like you know how good you have to be to like overshadow Jose Altuve and Bregman and Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker oh and 2020 American League MVP Jose Abreu who they just added like it's just like do you know how good you have to be to like kind of repeat that and I just don't think Jeremy Pena is like that type of player. Again, it's the postseason heroics, right? But then I'm I'm saying like, what are people going to say if Houston makes it back to the postseason this year and Jeremy Pena hits 150, right? Like y'all just saw one season of postseason heroics. Like I get it, but it was well, no, it was like we we talked about it previously with Carlos Correa too, where that yeah. that that Astros lineup is just so good. It's it's just so good where. Nick jokingly said, "I'd hit fucking two hundred, whatever in that in that lineup." And you know, it, look, you can you can hide there. You, you, you yeah. can hide in that lineup and and be decent enough. And it's the same thing with Dansby, though. Like it's very similar with Dansby and, and, and the Braves. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think I think, and that's why I think a lot. I think all three of us keep coming back to Bichette because if we look at our bottom five, I think Bichette is like clearly the one where like we know like you're gonna be here next year because. You have the less problems. Like, yo, even if Bichette improved his defense by, like, 20%, bro, like, like, it's just, like, it would make you look like an even better player. Like, it'd still be bad defense, yeah. but, like, better than, like, you're doing now. Um, and, and, yeah, dude, I just think that that's why I see. I said it. Like, once you start to pick away at the names, like, second base, you start to clean out the players, and you're just like, oh, wow, like, yeah, you, I might not think so highly of you as I as I thought I did. So that that's, that's an interesting one here with the shortstop. Man, I... Yeah, I just keep saying, it, man. I, I, if I was in the front office for for the Blue Jays, I would see how close my my because they have a really good shortstop prospect. I, I see how close he is to to the major leagues. If he's about a couple years away, during such a good window right now, where I would consider just saying, hey, who who's out there that we can put at shortstop? Because even though you you ultimately might take something away, because like Whit Merrifield's there at second base, and so is um. Espinal, yeah, <clears throat> and was really good last year too. By the way, I, I, you know, we, we, we gotta give him his flowers. Like those two guys are are good, but like I don't know, man. I, maybe Espinal can play short. I, I don't know. Someone else needs to play short, but Boba Shet though. Um, and, and and it's more of like a legacy thing there. But look, look, let's talk about our top five, right? Because I don't know if the top five is necessarily crazy, right? I, I think when you hear the name, you be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, obviously we're joking around. IKF is not the guy who we're not mentioning on purpose. IKF doesn't deserve on, to be on the top thirty list of fucking shortstops. If we're gonna be real, but the guy who's no longer gonna be a shortstop because they brought in Xander Bogarts is Fernando Tatis Jr. Right? I, I think when we rank him, we're gonna put him in our outfield episode if we decide to even include him in the rankings at this point. Um, but last year Tatis was our. I think he. I want to say he was our number one. I know he he didn't go any lower than I think two. He was, yeah. Yeah, I but, think he was our number one last year. Yeah, so so this year's this year's top five. We got we got number five is, is Corey Seager, right? Ha, I don't know if he's he had disappointing last year, but it wasn't what it was all hyped up to be for fucking eighty billion dollars a year that he's getting paid, right? However, I'll say this: um, the projections this year with the shift gone are are, are very interesting. So you know we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Carlos Correa. Played for three teams in a span of one month this year, and baseball hasn't even started. He comes in at number four. He's back with the Twins. Xander Bogarts, the new Padre, is at three. At two, the new Philly, uh, Treya Turner, and number one. Which, by the way, if you go back 
to last year's episodes. Yes, I am gonna, I am gonna, I am gonna like go ahead and pat myself on the fucking back. I said, "Yo, Francisco Lindor is probably gonna be number one in this list next year." Well, bam! Guess who's number one this year again? Francisco Lindor. He's number one in my list. I know I've seen a lot of lists where he's not even top five because we live in a fucking ridiculous world. Yeah, because well, you don't our have to listen to MLB Network. Imagine, <laughs> imagine. First of all, imagine being the network of your own sport and just being that wrong on your rankings all the time, so all constantly, the time. bro. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is is so bad. But no, look, look. Francisco Lindor is back at number one for number of us for us, and it's not surprising. You know, we're all pretty big Lindor fans, right? Uh, Rob because he's Puerto Rican, Nick because he loves his defense and he's just a big like Lindor fan, and me because I just think he's that dude. Like, how can you not like? I don't know. He, he was amazing. Daniel loves the Mets, man. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I, dude, actually, we're gonna do a little side note for Daniel Lopez's life. The first picture I've ever taken that was like like of me being alive was in front of Shea Stadium. It's me, my mom, and a clown, and I think that's relevant. <laughs> Because where the fuck else would you find a clown but fucking Shea Stadium, right? Where the Mets play. I think that kind of set my life course of thinking the Mets were a fucking joke. Uh, Daniel's taking baby pictures with the ops over here, man. It's Yo, word, I'm... <laughs> anyway. I'll, Nick, I'll kick it off of you, man. What, what, what do you got on our top five? Uh, I don't have any clown pictures in front of Shea Stadium stories, but uh, for the top five shortstops, I, I think it's right where it should be. Um you know, we kind of had the conversation around Correa, and we kept talking about, oh, who are you going to put over him? And, you know, some people said they had five people over him, and he's our number four. And I think he was everybody's number four. Um, I, we, I think he was consensus number four for all of us, which is right where he should be. He is that good. As much as you may not want to put him there, that's, that's how good he is. For me, it was tough with Seager. Um, he just has – he's always better than I thought he was every single year. And last year he had a much lower batting average. Like, it was – it was way, way down to 245, but and his OPS was way down at 772, but he still had a career high in 33 home runs. And that was the major reason for me to put him in the top five was he excelled at at least a stat. 33 home runs from a shortstop is, is good. That, that's a lot of home runs from your shortstop, even in today's game. Um, so it, while the rest of his stats were down, he still produced for his new team and this year with this with the shift going away it being his second year in the contract really right now he's probably not even the most he's not the biggest question contract with Jacob deGrom coming in like so there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to come off Corey Seager's plate this year they're still not expected to win I don't see anywhere predicting the Rangers to all of us and be second or third in the division so I think there's there's not only is there room to improve on what he did last year but there's just room to get back where he normally is which is around a 900 OPS and that's the thing with Corey Seager you don't think about is that he kind of sits around a 900 OPS. A 900 OPS is really good. Career 851, that's a really good OPS. There's a lot of shortstops or anybody else in the league that would kill to have an 851 season of OPS. And this is this guy's career OPS. From there, I think the top three are, they're kind of set in stone with Lindor, Turner, and Bogarts with you not putting Tatis Jr. in the shortstop rankings, you really have a clear-cut top three. And to me, Lindor, yeah, I've loved him from the beginning of him coming into the league. He was on, you know, he's on the Indians at the time, not a high, you know, not a high market team, not a team that everybody knows about, but you still knew Lindor. And even though he was on a team that wasn't always successful, he always had a smile on his face. He's the kind of guy that you want kids to watch play the game. So he's right there at the number one spot for me because he, not only does he have the average, not only does he have the pop, does he have the glove, he also has the attitude that you want to be leading a position that's as talent-rich as shortstop. And then Trey Turner going, like, Trey Turner could easily be the number one shortstop next year because he could absolutely ball out in Philadelphia. And it's crazy to think that he goes from L.A. and that lineup and think that he might actually have better stats at the end of the year because – Putting him around guys like Harper, while don't get me wrong, like Harper versus Freeman, Schwarber versus, you know, Turner, the other Turner, the way he performed in Los Angeles, the lineup is going to still be very, very good, maybe even better in some cases, but the ballpark. The ballpark, in my opinion, is really going to help Trey Turner with, with his pop. And he doesn't necessarily need the help of the pop, but like he could have a 40 40 season playing there. Is he going to? No. 
but he's one of the few guys in the league that you can really sit there and say it is a possibility and going to Philadelphia, it's an even bigger possibility. Um, I mean, who's to say he doesn't hit 350, 40, 40, like it's in the wheelhouse and you don't have that with many other players other than maybe Lindor and Lindor's not going to do that in New York. Lindor could do 120 runs and RBIs, but he's not going to get a 40, 40 season. He's not going to hit 350. Trey Turner can do that. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch. Bogarts for me, he's always been in my argument with the top as being the top shortstop in the game. And he's right there again. But right now, even going to San Diego with as good as a stick is, I can't see putting him over Trey or Lindor for so many reasons. I don't think I'd want his bat over those two while he is more consistent. And I probably, if who am I going to bet on to hit 300 might be Bogarts even over Trey Turner. Um, but at the same time, I would still take Trey Turner's bat every single time. Glove, I would take Trey Turner and Lindor over Bogarts for the glove. But another exciting situation, you're going to put Bogarts into another offensively rich lineup, but this time it's in a spot where he can win, and they're kind of expected to win. So what is he going to do as a leader of the team? He was the default leader for the Red Sox. Now, money-wise, positional-wise, like he might be the face the face the franchise after this year depending on what happens with Tatis if Tatis doesn't play anymore if he if his suspension doesn't say go longer um which I got it way off before I said he'd be missing like half the season he's going to miss a month due to the suspension but assuming he comes back and maybe doesn't ball out like we expect Bogarts could be the face of the franchise with Machado likely moving on I don't see how they're going to keep Machado and go after Otani so big like they say they're going to and Machado is definitely going to opt out unless he gets a major injury. There's no reason for him not to. MVP type season last year, probably going to do the same thing this year. Um, but Bogarts has a chance to really solidify himself as one of the best shortstops in the game. He's already there, in my opinion. But it's going to be a fun season to watch, especially if the other guys like Soto comes around and starts playing like the Juan Soto we know he's supposed to be. What Bogarts could do in this lineup is going to be really fun to watch. And it's nice to have two of our top three shortstops change teams and still be excited for the change and not think, oh, well, they're coming away from where they've been so good. The The sky's the limit, especially for the top here in this position, and I think it played out just the way it should have. It, it's like the opposite of Dansby Swanson, right, where Dansby Swanson's going from a stack lineup to one that he's probably the biggest name in that lineup right now. The only the only guy you could argue is a bigger name might be Cody Bellinger, and that's just because he has the MVP, but we know that he's not that dude, right? But, you know, aside from that, it, it, it's Dansby, right? With these guys, right, with Trey Turner, he's not the best offensive option. It, it, it's Bryce Harper, right? It, it's Bryce Harper. It's not even It's not even a debate. Bryce Harper's the guy you look at in that lineup. Trey Turner might be the second best guy you look at that, right? right? I, I, I don't give Risk Hoskins that kind of credit. And, um, you know, who, who's JT Realmuto, I also don't see as the offensive next guy there in front of Trey. Xander Bogarts goes from being the guy in Boston last year. Because remember, Devers was kind of hurt a little bit. He goes from being the offensive guy in Boston to you can argue he will be their fourth best option in San Diego, depending on what's going on with the teeth. But you got Machado. You mentioned you mentioned um, what's it called? Uh, Soto. So now Bogarts, who is year after year, he's a little bit underrated, right? And and we mentioned it last year that he's just so consistent that even though he's not super exciting, he has to be on a, on a top five like this. Well, look, this year, one, he's, he's still consistent. He still kept up his numbers last year. But he also goes into the best lineup he's ever played on. And he remember, he played on a lineup of Mookie Betts and Devers at the same time at one point. And J.D. Martinez. So he, he steps into, in some world, a better lineup than, than he's ever had before. I, I don't see a world where he just doesn't absolutely put up ridiculous numbers. And yeah, it is San Diego. San Diego's a little bit typically uh, more pitcher-friendly. But you have a lineup like that, I don't think it matters. Um, my my hottest take of hot takes is is with Corey Seager. I think Corey Seager is a legitimate AL MVP candidate next year. I'm I'm not surprised if we're having that conversation in in August about Corey Seager. His numbers are he's hitting 310 with with 40 bombs by September. I, I would not be surprised at that. The only reason why I personally also had Carlos Correa in front of him is because Carlos Correa is just we know what we're getting with him, right? It's it's not MVP level, but it's consistent. We we know that his numbers are are gonna be you know 
not super overwhelming, but he's going to play platinum platinum glove defense, right? And his numbers are going to be good enough to, to say, hey, yeah, he's kind of a guy. Uh, you know, that being said, I, I, I would, like, if, if I were really picking, I, I don't know if I'd pick, if I'd pick Seager or, or Correa anymore. But, yo, Rob, I'll, I'll kick it over to you, man. Uh, what are your thoughts on top five? Yeah, man, it, it's a solid top five. Look, uh, I I agree with with what you're saying about Corey Seager. I don't I don't necessarily see him as like an AL MVP candidate, but I do think that his numbers should get better. Um, I think that he, like Nick said, he hit a, a career high with 33 home runs last year. I think he's definitely one of those guys that might potentially hit 40 plus um, next season. Um, I think the reason why a lot of people held Corey Seager down this this year compared to others, like Nick also mentioned, it it, it was the OPS drop. Like beforehand, even if you weren't getting like so many games from Seager, like you were still getting high average, you were still getting elite OPS. Um, OPS dropped under 800 this season for a guy who just got $325 million. That's something you're not going to want to see as a franchise. Like we, and, and we can also point to like, you know, park adjustment and all that stuff. Like second year in Texas, I'm sure will be uh, even better for him. So I'm not that, you know, uh, off on, on Seager being in the top five, I think he, de- he definitely deserves to be in the conversation. It's just the thing with him. It, it, it's always been, you know, somewhat inconsistency. And again, it's not like, it's not like this was one of the, like we can point to park adjustments and be, and being like first year in Texas, but it's also not like this was a year where it's like, Oh, Corey played 90 games and like he was injured. And like that also impacted his role. No, he, he played the most games he's ever played in a season in his career. He played 151 games and put up his worst batting average and his worst OPS for an entire season while also hitting you know, career highs and in, in home runs and, and almost career highs matching his career high and in, in RBIs. Um, so for him, I, I would definitely like to see how he does in a second year um, with Texas. Look, Carlos Correa, I mean, Carlos Correa is going to have to go on some type of, of I don't know if it's like a, a, it's not a PR tour or anything like that, but like more of like some type of a redemption tour this year. And that's, and that's more for himself. You know, because that's not that's not us just sitting up here and wanting to bash Carlos Correa or anything like that. You do that to yourself. Like you do that to yourself when you go out and you start making comments about, you know, how 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 teams are going to pay you. Right. And like how they have to pay for like if they want like these level players or anything like that. And it's true. Right. Like teams are. Yeah. For for guys that are going to get the 30 million, 35 million dollars, whatever. Yeah, teams are going to put up the money like that's not the right. problem here. I would I would have paid Correa to not be in my locker room. He has like that kind of personality. No, like, I, I just, get it. <laughs> personality, personality. But talent wise, just about a bunch right. of other teams are going to give him over thirty million dollars, close to it. Like, and, and and I think that's the problem. You set yourself up to be a joke. Like, because again, the the thing with him signing with three teams like that, like it's something that might like obviously he might not get plugged. Like, and and it's something that seems like pretty normal, right? Like, oh, he didn't he agreed with the Giants, and oh, now he he's agreeing with the Mets, and oh, now he'll agree with the Twins. But, like, from a baseball fan perspective and, like, reporters and everyone who's, like, watching the stuff unfold, like, when was the last time we've seen anything like this? Like, I can't point to it. And, and, it's, and it's even weirder when you're talking about it being, like, one of the premier players in the game. Like, because that's what, that's what Carlos essentially is. Like, when you look at him, like, he might not be, like, talent-wise, like, better than some other guys. But, like, his big personality, while it might, you know, turn some people off some teams are kind of going to like that, you know, like in terms of like having that, having that in the locker room and, and, and kind of playing that asshole role, like some teams are going to like that. So it, it kind of, I don't know, it, it made the whole contract thing just made it seem like, damn, man, like this was, this was when you were in your position to just like, yo, sign your long-term deal, go out there and play. And it's, and essentially your, his off season, it became sort of like a joke to me, which is like kind of weird saying for a guy that just took home $200 million, but it's just like, so you ended up where you were all along, right? And then it he can say whatever he wants, right? But a return to Minnesota was not his priority. And was and was and at the end of the year was probably not where he envisioned himself like being long term in his playing career because he obviously agreed to two massive contracts with two other franchises who he probably would have done better with um you know, long term and and potential postseason, you know, the Giants, for example, are not a team that's necessarily right now geared for postseason contention, but the Giants are a team that I'd probably have more faith in than a Minnesota in terms of like their front office and putting pieces together to try to build something, right? So I don't know, man. For Carlos, it, it was just a tough offseason with the whole contract situation. I hope he goes to Minnesota and, you know, plays 
his bro, to his contract imagine, and plays well. Yo, imagine like you and your significant other just broke up. Right. And then they were like, I'm gonna go test the field. I'm gonna go out with like two other people. And then they're like, fuck, I guess I guess I'll stay with you. Yeah, kind of thing. That, that's essentially no, what happened. Like, yeah, just, it's not even it's not even that they went out and dated two other people and you were better than those two other people. <laughs> to other two other, yo, yeah. They were just like, they were just like, I was not good enough for those two other people. <laughs> so now I'm back to you because I'm good enough for you. Like, because <laughs> no, like, but that's the reality. Like Carlos Correa, like, is essentially the face of the Minnesota Twins. Like Minnesota's that, fucking Minnesota's essentially like J Lo in every movie. Yeah, th- dude, that's what it is. Like, I, I look, I know deep down in their hearts, like Minnesota fans would love for like a guy like Byron Buxton to be like their face of their franchise. Health ain't there, man. Unfortunately, the health ain't there. Like, it's just it's just what it is. Like, but for Carlos, man, look, go to Minnesota, play your game, boom. In terms of the top three shortstops, yeah, I th- I think it's I think it's very clear. Um, on my personal list, I have Lindor at two. Um, so I didn't put Lindor at one. I had Trey at one, Lindor two, Xander three. Um, I think it, it's pretty self-explanatory. Xander to me, it's just, again, I don't, I don't, I want to be careful with the words that I use because I don't want to say worse, like, you know, but like, it's a bad thing, but yeah, if you give me a choice at shortstop, I'm more than likely picking Trey and Lindor. Like when they're, when, when all three players are on, I'm more than likely picking Trey and Lindor over Xander nine out of 10 times. Um, so I'm comfortable with Xander being at three, even though he's a, a, a phenomenal player and, and a guy who honestly doesn't get enough credit for how often he is like in batting title conversations and all that type of stuff. Cause he, he is very consistent, a very consistent, um, or was a, a very consistent, good hitter for Boston. Um, now we'll have to see how that translates over to San Diego. Um, but when Lindor and, and, and Treya, I think, I think it's very much a situation of pick your poison. I think there's a very strong argument that Treya has probably been the most consistent shortstop in the entire game um, for at least like the last five years. And I think you you get a lot or like, you know, a lot of what you're going to get with Treya. Treya, every season that you start off with Treya, you have a very high likelihood that Treya is going to lead the league in hits, that he might lead the league in stolen bases. He might lead the league in triples. He might lead the league in batting average. Like he gives you that in a player wrapped up. Um, so well and he has pop like like this year it wasn't like as significant as years before but Treya is is that type of guy along with Lindor who could probably be in the mid 800s consistently in terms of like OPS for the type of offense that he produces I think the the argument that that you guys can make for Lindor because I know both of you had him at number one again it, it was a tough decision I I honestly I kept Lindor at two because I'm still I didn't like last year in New York so I still have like that bad taste in my mouth of like, I'm not a Mets fan, but like I'm a Francisco Lindor fan. So like ha- his last season in New York was something that I wasn't a fan of. And I think last year I had him ranked like seventh or eighth because of that. Um, so this year, yeah, he, he went, he phenomenal. S- similar story to Corey Seager, but the, but the opposite end played the most games he's ever played in, in a season for the Mets at 161 set a career high in RBIs. 26 home runs like yeah he didn't get the 30 home runs but 26 26 and 107 is still solid for home run rbi totals from a shortstop that you would want to see his batting average wasn't all there but it's not like francisco lindor has been a 300 level hitter consistently in his career either um and i think with him it's just the ops drop as well you you same thing with Treyer with Treya. you want both of them to kind of get back to like what they were in that kind of like 800 ops um role but both players had great seasons and the thing with Treya and 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 Lindor and you know a lot of people might be going off of like the last season in New York and while yes it has a bad taste in my mouth from a personal perspective because I'm like such a massive fan of Lindor but if people want to act like there's not an argument for Lindor at number 1 that's also insane because like if you look at the counting stats for Treya and Lindor they're pretty similar the last two seasons like Treya has I think maybe seven more RBIs than Lindor I think they have similar levels of home runs even even the analytics are somewhat close. Like Treya tends to edge him a little bit in the analytics, but like again, it's pick your poison. If Treya Turner or Francisco Lindor is your shortstop, guess what? Your team doesn't have to worry about the shortstop position. Shortstop position is pretty set. Like you, you can move on to other parts for your team because those are two of the premier guys at the position. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how how uh, actually watching them compete against each other now because now it's going to be Philly and New York instead of like New York and and the Dodgers, right? So now Treya being in that. Uh, division will definitely be will definitely be something that comes up in combos next year for the rankings because again these two guys I mean I'd, I'd put my entire bank account on the fact that Lindor and Treya will both be top three shortstops next season you know so it's just it, that that's how good these guys are 
Um, I don't see anything changing that much on there and outside of like an injury or something like that when they're when they're unable to play. But if they're if they're able to stay on the field for their teams, I think they, these two guys, um, while the while the power numbers might not be there in terms of like what we traditionally see as like superstar players in the league, I think Lindor and Trey are, are superstars in this league. Um, kind of underrated in a way because they put because they play shortstop. Like when like when we mentioned our second base uh, episode and we were talking about Hall of Fame, right? And you look at the Hall of Fame having so many outfielders. I feel like sometimes second base and shortstop position kind of gets overlooked in that sense in terms of like where a lot of players currently stand in today's game, like how they rank in terms of like, oh, is this a top 10 player overall in the league today? Where we talked about Lindor has that potential. I think Treya is kind of lesser on that potential, but based on how a lot of other players have been kind of playing and then Treya has kind of been able to keep up with that consistency, he's kind of made a stronger case for himself the last couple of seasons. So yeah, I think, I think if anything, uh, it could be a 1A, 1B situation. But the way that it played out for me, um, yeah, I just decided to take Treya one this year and Lindor two. I think if you have Lindor one and Treya two, that's right as well. It, it's I think they're the two clear cut favorites to have the top two spots. Yeah, and you just can't have Lindor fucking six. Like I've seen some fucking lists. Like, yeah, I just no. look. I, the, the reason why why I have Lindor over Trey Turner is a glove. Essentially, what what comes down to me is I, I I trust Lindor's glove above pretty much everyone else here. You know, maybe Carlos Carlos Correa is another guy who I'd say yeah maybe. But you know, fuck them. But no, look with with, with, with Lindor, we're we're at a point where we, we forget that we're coming off the era of of the 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 Super Bowl, right? Right? The the baseball that was just flying out of the park. Twenty home runs, or or being from twenty to thirty home runs for a shortstop, is very good, right? Like that is that is high power for the shortstop position. What do you think about guys? at the shortstop position and, and, and like what their offensive impact in the game or what their impact in the game is. When you speak to some people, the first person they think of is just a shortstop is, oh, Ozzy, Ozzy Smith, right? Ozzy, the wizard, right? And it's like, yo, bro, offensively, he was fucking garbage. Yet some people have him as one of the best shortstops to ever play the game. Granted, couldn't fucking hit for shit. Great glove, right? Omar Vizquel, right? Another guy who in his time, I, I, I argue that he's a Hall of Famer based on the glove alone. Right, because if you have Ozzy Smith, you gotta have you gotta have um, Omar in there, and that's just my opinion, right? Just if, if we're going off the glove and we're gonna keep that consistent, then to look at the the outlier, the outlier is Alex Rodriguez, who's the best shortstop to ever fucking put a uniform on, you know. Like, granted, yes, I get the the, the, the you know steroids and shit and, and and all that stuff, but if we're looking just purely numbers, he's the best shortstop to ever put a uniform on. But but after that, like you know. Nomar did it for what two seasons, right? Like or two or three seasons, really. When you look at it, right? Derek Jeter was never a power hitter at, at the shortstop position, right? So, from twenty to thirty home runs, you're looking at elite shortstop production. Shortstop's another one of those positions that is traditionally a defensive position, right? Troy Tulowitzki was the other guy who you could say, hey, this guy had some real like power numbers, but he was another, he was never on the field, right? He had a few good seasons with Colorado, but then it was just kind of like, oh, what if? sense that right so because of that i think we're kind of undervaluing what what lindor does right i think we're undervaluing what trey turner does right and and bogart right all these guys who they're between 20 and 30 home runs their ops is going to be anywhere from 750 to about 850 typically right maybe some years will be a, be a little bit above that but you know even Carlos Correa, i'll say Carlos culture maybe we're, we're, we're giving him maybe i'm hating on him too much because he is in that in that same level that I'm just mentioning. But, dude, a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr., he was another outlier. He was an A-Rod, an A-Rod type outlier who was hitting 48 fucking home runs at the shortstop position. Well, guess where he's moving? Out of the fucking shortstop position, right? So that's usually what happens with these guys, right? A-Rod even moved to third at, at, at a certain point in his career, right? So I think we got to appreciate these guys for what they're doing. Lindor has been consistent. Trey Turner has been consistent. I don't think Trey Turner gets more home runs. I think, if anything, it goes the other direction. But I think he impacts the game with his legs. I think he impacts the game. I think he has gotten better defensively, right? So, like, I'm okay with him not being a 30 home run guy. I'm okay with none of these guys being 30 home run guys. The only guy who can't be a, who can't not be a 30 home run guy is Bo Bichette. And he still hasn't hit 30 home runs in a season. But he's the guy that has to approach that, to, to stick at that position. Um, yeah, man, but look, I, I, 
we're, the, the, where we're looking at a shortstop position is going to be so more so much more impactful the next from here going forward than it was the last few years. Shift is gone, and I absolutely fucking love it. I, I hope that I hope that even I, look people are still going to shift, right? It's just not the extreme shift as as we've mentioned before, but it's going to make it so that our shortstops need to be better defensively. We can't just have a log out there, right? Like I'm trying to think of like the the Glaber Torres experiment with the Yankees. That should have never happened, right? Boba Shett at shortstop really shouldn't be happening. Um, but anyway, man, let, let, let's get the hell out of here, yo. Do you guys want to close off on anything? Nick, I'll start with you, buddy. No, man, just nice to talk about a position that has a little more talent than second base. Um, it's It's been a solid position for a long time. You've got MVP candidates all over the place. You've got guys you want to see on the field. On a, I mean, these are all tune-in, like, let's watch these guys play baseball. Um, just it's getting exciting coming up on the year. There's one of those positions that gets us excited for the year coming up. What about you, Rob? Yeah, man. You know, shortstop position is always is always going to be a solid one. I think I think it's because the talent is like nonstop. You know, it, we have guys that didn't make our top ten this year that are looking at themselves like borderline guys. And already, if you go look at the uh, if you go look at the the prospect rankings for this upcoming season, right? Which obviously the MLB rankings are like whatever whatever you want to think of them. But like in terms of like the prospect rankings, like right now, eight of the top 25 prospects are shortstops. So that's almost a third of the top 25 being shortstops, which means that there are, there's way more talented shortstops, like still to come up for a lot of these teams. Like you mentioned, Gunnar Henderson, where is he going to play? We have, we know the Yankees, you know, have nonstop talked about Anthony Volpe potentially coming up. Even someone like, like the Red Sox, right? The Red Sox have Marcelo Meyer and even mentioning Gunnar Henderson for the Orioles. He's more than, now that I think about it, He's more than likely going to play third if it ends up, you know, working out for him. Because remember that the Orioles also took Jackson Holiday, fucking uh, Matt Holiday's son, who, who I believe is also a shortstop um, with the number one pick in this past draft. So, I mean, the talent at the position is just honestly nonstop. It's the best word to use for it. It's it's the one position where every time that we hop on these rankings outside of like outfielders, which has already been talked about, there's always talent there. The shortstops always come up huge with some of the top names in the sport. And even when you go down to six through 10, there's always some talent there for you to be able to pull from. So I think, I think if anything to say for the shortstops rankings, that it's going to stay as, as good as it's been these last couple seasons. It's going to be crazy when we hear the, the May trade that sends Anthony Volpe to the Padres for Fernandes Jr. And for Fernandes Jr. is back at the number one spot at the shortstop position. So crazy. It's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. Not me. Look, I, Shortstop position traditionally, from like playing baseball, like growing up, it's usually your best athlete. Your best athlete plays shortstop, right? Um, if he has smooth hands, right? If he doesn't have smooth hands, we, we put him in center field. But you so traditionally, your best baseball player go, goes to shortstop. They usually want to play shortstop. It kind of gets the most action. Uh, you know, I I love it. I I think it I think it does make a difference to have that guy there. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see where, where things go. We'll go with these guys. I'm excited about the young guys. I also think that you mentioned you mentioned guys like Mar- Marcelo Mayer, and, and I mentioned Volpe, and, and Henderson's been mentioned, right? Like the big thing to remember is that it's the hardest. It's probably the hardest position to stick at, and, and to be and, and to stay there for for longevity wise, right? We've seen a lot of people start there and then kind of just fall off real quick, or or move to second base, or or move to another position, right? Guys tend to get very underrated at that position, even though if they're good, like Elvis Andrews or Willie Adamas, who wasn't mentioned in this episode, but was very close to being in our rankings. Um, you know, just just things to look at. By the way, if you look at MLB Network, Willie Adamas is like fucking number four. It's a fucking joke. I, I hate, like, yo, I, like, I love that there's an MLB Network, but I hate the people who run it. I, I really think Brian Bro, Kenny really- according, according to the According to the fans, uh, the only two shortstops in the game right now that are better than Jeremy Pena are Trey and Lindor. So yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw According that. to the fan vote, Jeremy Pena is the number three shortstop in the game. So yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, it's hard to take anything that comes out of an MLB network very seriously. <laughs> I, I think it's a joke. But. Yeah, but at least you got Brian Kenny's name right this time. <laughs> well, I mean, I, when you butcher yeah, so much, like you know, it's all those things where, yeah, I mean, the, the guy is so bad for baseball and, and the whole baseball discourse. I. I if another nerd tells me that, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not even gonna. We're just gonna, we're just gonna stop it there, cause I, I, I don't, like, I, don't, I didn't pay enough for this therapy session. All right, yo, we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. We got some fun stuff, man. We still got our catchers, we got our pitchers, and we got our outfielders. Outfielders is always the best episode. That's where we, where we get our MVPs out of typically. 
So, yo, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.